This is the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. Stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue for the best liquor, beer, and wine deals in the River Valley. Arkansas wins the national championship! Check out Eastside Liquor on Facebook for weekly specials. Say goodbye! Darren McFadden, 80 yards, touchdown! All right, Matt Jones, your boy Jason Peters at 41 years of age has signed a contract to now play on the Seattle practice squad for now. I can't imagine he's going to be on the practice squad for very long. Learn the offense maybe for a week and then get over there to uh, to left tackle because Seattle has lost both of their starting tackles wow. in week one to injuries. Abraham Lewis on the right side to a sore patella. Left tackle Charles Cross, a sprained big toe. And uh, the only other tackle they have on the uh, – they have two other tackles on the roster. One's on the practice squad. The other is not ready for prime time. So Jason Peters, nine-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro, and certain future Hall of Famer is uh, going to be next up for Seattle. Your boy, Jason Peters. I think that's proper usage of the terminology, too, because he's he was a teammate. He uh, Oh, he, he's one of the best teammates ever had. Big Bye. That was uh, that was Hillman. And I saw Sean Andrews uh, Friday night, and Hillman and Sean were, you know, be on the same side a lot. Sean was our right tackle then. Love some Sean Andrews. Uh, Jason Peters, man, you talk about athletes that could do – had hand-eye coordination. You could take those guys to the basketball court, and, and they could go out out there and play they could dribble and pass and shoot and and, and have some hand-eye coordination uh man good for him good for him i i uh man it, it comes a time in every player's every player's career where they tell you you, you can't play anymore you know hey we, we enjoyed it but you got to find something else to do and so he's still he's still doing it man go go out there and still do it as long as you can i mean there's got to be in his i can't get in his mind but his i mean he's made the money he's he's a certain Hall of Famer, maybe Absolutely. even the first ballot. I think so. Honestly, uh, I mean, what's what's there left to play for other than just he got his showing you too. can still do it. He was on that Philly team. Mm-hmm. He got, I think, he got hurt that year too. The year that Philly won the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't think he played. He, he in didn't that play. Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you're right. I mean, Phil, it's it's just it's you don't know anything else to do. It, that's why you see a lot of athletes when they get done, they don't know what else to do. You know, that's just kind of what they've been doing their whole life and. Uh, he he obviously still can play the game at a high level and loves the game. Uh, and if you if you can play, if you're healthy enough, man, go out there, go out there and do it. Will be his fourth team in four years. I mean, you see a lot of this in in, in professional sports specifically, but I th- I know I see it a lot in baseball with pitchers who are kind of hanging on near the end of their career. That's what's what Wainwright is doing that makes it a little bit different is that, uh, you know, we kind of forget sometimes that Greg Maddox pitched for the Dodgers, right? Mm-hmm. Tom Glavin pitched for the Mets. We all associate them with, with one or two specific Smoltz, teams. Smoltz even changed his career and started getting saves when, when he just to stay around a little bit longer. Yeah, he pitched with the Cardinals. Yeah. Only Cardinal fans remember that. <laughs> you know, Jason Peters played for, well, we know him with Buffalo and Philadelphia, but he, I mean, he played with, with Philly in 2020. Mm-hmm. Chicago in 21, 15 games, got into 10 games with Dallas last year, and now picked up by Seattle. So, I mean, it's journeyman, but it's, it's, it's brilliant by him to know, hey, I don't, gotta, I don't have to beat myself up in the summer at all the OTAs and all of this and that. I don't have to be at camp and everything. My name markets myself, and somebody out there is getting hurt. I'll have a, I'll have a season this year. I'll get paid. 
Man, his footwork is unbelievable. Uh, we, we were in the height playing basketball. We were about 18, 19 years old. Uh, Brandon Dean, Teddy Gipp. Uh, I mean, all, all these, uh, if, if you're Arkansas fans, you, everybody knows who those those basketball players are. And uh, he, he Gennaro Pargo was there. Uh, and and the, I think Alonzo Lane was there. You had some other guys. But but Peters gets the ball down low and does a little, a, a little dream shake, comes back to the left, back to the right, then pump fakes and then back up under. And you're just like... Dude, nobody that size is supposed to move like you, bro. And his man, his feet work. That's why he's able to, to step in there and play because being a left tackle, and and that's what you're seeing with these Razorback guys with Manuel and the and the other the other guy that's, that's probably going to be the starter. They their footwork is the biggest key to that. I mean, you got to have the proper technique, the proper bend, the proper foot footwork. Don't be getting out and overextended. And Peters is one of the best ever with it with his feet. Jason Peters has played in 238 regular season NFL games. Uh, last year, he ranked sixth amongst active players, but uh, Tom Brady isn't playing any longer, and there were a couple of kickers that were also on the list too. Robbie Gould, um, Mason Crosby, and then there were a couple others as well. One was a punter. There's only one current player in the NFL of any position that has played in more games than Jason Peters. And it is Mercedes Lewis. Another former teammate of mine. Yeah, played with him for three years in Jacksonville. Yeah. Get some, uh, you get some teammates with some longevity, man. Talk he's about been him. around for 252 games, and he played he played with the Bears this week. He's uh, he's another athlete that uh, that could play basketball when he when he got there, and, and he's he's a six five big kid, but had eye hand coordination. That's that's why you tell all these kids, man, when they're when they're in eighth grade, seventh grade, man, play all the sports, play, go out there and play. They they all translate to footwork and bend and your core and just all the little things that 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 going on and competing instead of going to the offseason or, or you know instead of going go go out there and compete and, and and work on your craft yeah being used to competition more than anything it's, well, you know, well, you know you're getting competing. in a getting in a batter stance is, is real similar to getting in a defensive basketball stance is, is real similar to getting in your your tight end stance when you're getting down i mean all this all, all this proper footwork with your shoulders shoulders to your to your knees to your feet to how everything works it it, it it all does translate now it's a little bit different but it all does translate and it helps Jason Peters in 238 regular season games has been called for 102 penalties. Think about that. 18 years, 18 years in the NFL, just 102 penalties. And he's going to end up being the sixth Razorback in Canton uh, whenever his career ends, five years after. I would assume uh, someone who's been that position for that long, at that high of a level, is probably a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'd be, I would love, I'd have to take a lot of, uh, probably a lot of research. Who has ever been a first ballot Hall of Famer while being an undrafted free agent into the NFL? I wonder if, uh, was Antonio Gates uh, drafted? I don't think he was drafted. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was out of Kent State. He was a basketball player changing position, so so it was a little different. And 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 and, and Jason was was chasing changing positions a little bit too. He was he was a tight end, uh, moving to tackle. Yeah, it doesn't look like Gates was drafted. You're right. There'd but, be an, there'd be an, there'd be another one. There you go, Kent State. Just can't stay away from Kent State. Joey coached for 33 years. He texted him the McClarty Daniel hotline. He loves where uh, he loves where you went with that. Play a lot of sports. Don't just specialize in one. 
it's just it's uh, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, go out there and play, compete, uh, and, and play all work work on your eye hand coordination. It just goes with with hitting a ball, with with catching a basketball, to you know to throwing a football. Everything you got to do that, that comes in it it all translates a little bit. I was told the same thing about broadcasting sports. Don't just try to pigeonhole yourself into one. You know, don't be don't be afraid of some of the other sports. Someone once tried to contact me about like downhill skiing. Mm-hmm. I thought um, Pinkaboo Street would probably help if I've ever gone downhill skiing before. But then again, I mean, I'm on the football broadcast. I never played football, so maybe it works. Just James Bond's downhill ski before, so we're, he's done it all, hasn't he? That's where the biathlon <laughs> came from. It came specifically from from. Uh, that's from James Bond. That's the, that's the sport I thought I had Olympic hopes for when I was 9, 10, 11 years old because I grew up shooting a gun, you know, and hunting and doing all that thing and then liking cardio and liking that type of thing. I thought, man, I'm destined to put that 22 long rifle on my back and, and, and go around the circuits and hitting your targets. And, oh, man, it was the coolest. I can think uh, maybe I would have wanted to do the biathlon because I saw James Bond yeah, the do same these things. things in the movie For Your Eyes Only, uh-huh. in which when he was done, it was the opening segment, the opening scene i think he ended up um he ended up with a lovely snow bunny in whatever kind of a vehicle that was driving itself it was like i i think that would sound like fun but guess what i don't do i don't i don't go snow skiing and i don't shoot a rifle yeah so i never followed my dreams in that case yeah what's wrong with me Run into the stupid sports casting thing instead. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v for your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts the year of the sauce continues at buffalo wild wings introducing bullet bourbon barbecue sauce and the return of hot barbecue sauce to the buffalo wild wings sauce lineup try both bullet bourbon barbecue sauce and hot barbecue sauce for a limited time at your local buffalo wild wings visit buffalo wild wings in little rock sherwood bryant conway jonesboro and fort smith buffalo wild wings wings sauce beer and football Let's head to the McClarty Daniel Hotline and talk with Grant Hall. Appreciate your time as always. Grant, how you doing today? Hi, fellas. Good to hear from you, Grant. So uh, Adam Wainwright finally got number 199. Uh, how many starts did it take him? Like seven, eight? Uh, man, I think uh, it had been. I think he's got uh, what? How many, how many left? Like three or four to try to get to 200 now? Yeah, he's got three more starts. It was 11 starts, including seven in a row, seven losses in a row, um, 86 days. And then last night, uh, you know, I, I, it's funny. I was I was thinking back to Bob Gibson's last season, Phil, and he went 3-10 and 10 with a 5.05 earned run average. And so now Adam is 4-11 and 11 with a 7.95 earned run average. He, he got it under eight last night. And uh, you could tell they were all excited for him. Uh, I think he's not going to pitch until next Monday, they said. And I haven't been to St. Louis this year. I'm not, I'm not even sure where they play next Monday, but I might try to go see uh, him get that 200th. Hey, I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to see something like that. But this this follows. It's not a pattern for Wainwright because he was good last year. Um, 
But so many pitchers that are first ballot Hall of Famers, they just sort of hung on till the very end. You know, I mean, Nolan Ryan was still good at the end. Tom Seaver was still good at the end. You know, Phil Necro, not so much. That knuckleball wasn't knuckling very much. And Steve Carlton, his last year, 16.8 earned run average. So oh, wow. how you finish isn't how they're necessarily going to remember you. I just You just hate seeing guys like that. I don't know if White Rainwright's a Hall of Famer. He probably isn't, but, but he is. He's a Cardinals Hall of Famer, and that's for certain. Yeah, and he said uh, the other night, he, he said this has been a tough year. For, I don't think he's felt great. I, I think there are probably some arm issues in there, you know, and he's trying to finish it out. Um but, you know, if you'd told him he was going to have a 7.95, he might have thought twice about playing this year. I think he, you know, like you said, he had a good year last year and thought he could have another good one. And the team's had a horrible year. And uh, so at least a, a little bright spot there at the end. Give me uh, one thing to take into the offseason for Cardinals fans that is a positive after this just absolutely horrendous regular season this year. Yeah, that's uh, they're going to have to do something about the pitching staff, I think, and add there in the off season. You know, they try to do a lot through their organization, but you just don't know if that's going to happen. So, uh, I mean, I, I think Luke Barr's had a good year when he's been uh, healthy. I think Mason Wynn is an amazing defensive shortstop, but you got to hit more than 160 or 170 or whatever he's been hitting. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if he can hit and have that spot. Uh, Tommy Edmond, I think, has had a good year. Uh, all tall, he can play anywhere, you know. And uh, but I think the two, I think that uh, uh, I would say the first baseman Goldschmidt has had a down year. Just seventy four RBIs for him. Has uh, more and more trouble with a great fastball pitcher. And then of course Arenado's. You know, it's funny Arenado's made nine errors this year and two in this series. Uh, and one of those made Wainwright have to have a five-out inning, but he did that, you know, last night. So they got away with that one. Grant, with with this this Arkansas Razorback football team this year, do you think that are you, are you worried about the running game, or do you think this is just going to be a pass team first? It and I think even Coach Pittman might have even said that you know KJ is going to pass the ball more, where this might be a sixty forty split, where we're going to kind of pass the ball and set everything up that way. How worried are you about this running game going into BYU? Yeah, I think we have to go one more week, Matt, and see what happens Saturday. That you know Arkansas scored fifty two against this team last year see how this one goes. I, I don't necessarily agree with people that say Arkansas was holding things back because I don't, you know, you're, you're wanting to make your most improvement between game one and game two, and they obviously did not do that, but uh, there were mitigating factors. Sam talked a lot about it. Uh, but I, I think the big, like I was I was sitting with uh, David Basil and, and Steve Sullivan during the game, and I heard uh, David say at halftime that he thinks K.J. Jefferson has to run the ball for this offense. And he also didn't think the offensive tackles played great. Um, you know, you went from a from a nine-minute first half possession to what was it, 22 minutes? And I don't know if I've ever seen a game like that. But uh, so it, it was odd and, and weird. But I think that's the, you know, do you, and you guys have talked about this this week, if you run KJ 13 times or 15 or 18 or whatever it's going to be, then we, there are 10 more uh, pretty tough games to play, and can you survive that? And he's sturdy enough to do it. You know, you you got to get lucky with injuries. 
But doesn't it appear to you, you all that I mean that that his running has to be a big part of this offense still. It's it's a great asset to this offense. It's one of the best things about this offense. The the thing that you don't want are the unwarranted hits. You you just want him to run a little bit smarter. But but absolutely, he 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 needs to run. He's a very capable runner. Granted, it looks like in the first two weeks he does need to run. But all we heard in the off season was KJ is going to be throwing it more and running it less. It just happens to be right now that you're right. You're right. They get the numbers in their favor when KJ is running, and you get a blocking back. Right now, I don't necessarily know if the offense has run the way that the coaches want it to run. In fact, I don't think it has yet. Well, I go back to, uh, I guess, the bowl game in which Arkansas was not doing great against Penn State down in Tampa. And at halftime, Sam basically told Kendall Browse, you know, you got to run KJ. I think he ran for 100-plus in the third quarter. It, it was a little bit like that the other day. I don't know what was said at halftime. Uh, about it, but they you know they turned him loose a little bit, and then I thought on that last drive or so they finally started playing the way they wanted to in the beginning, and maybe uh, Kent State wore down a little bit. It was just uh, I tell you that that whole scene was uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a smaller visiting section, just a few rows over there <laughs> of Kent State fans, and it's going to be different this week. I, I heard my uh, friend Zach Arn say the other day that. That Brigham Young really travels well, and when they played at Notre Dame one time, they had a big contention. You know, Arkansas took a lot of fans to BYU last year. Fans want to see a different part of the country. I'm sure BYU fans will uh, look forward to coming here. So that might be a little, bit, a little bit different too. The large number of visiting fans. Well, they literally have a worldwide fan base. There, there really aren't that many teams in college football that have a worldwide fan base but the mormon church is everywhere so they i mean they do right. they have fans all over and and i mean just inside the country it, it literally is coast to coast they showed up when they played at liberty uh they sh- they showed up when they played it at uh, i think it was yukon and a number of other places uh they'll show up when byu goes to kansas the week after they come to fayetteville so it's just you're right though that was a really small uh, student section or fan visiting fan section against uh, Kent State. Uh, yeah, you, and go ahead. Well, Grant, sorry. Uh, the other thing that happened there that I noticed was the you know the student section was full when the game started, but it you know it was pretty hot and it dwindled and and you know these students a lot of these students are from Texas now and I don't know that you have the same degree of uh, of stay until the end of the game regardless of the situation that you used to have that way. I'm not saying there's any less devotion to the University of Arkansas. I mean, there are 32,000 students now. so uh, But it, not just in that section, but in other sections of the stadium. It fell off quite a bit as the second half went on. Grant, didn't I read that there are more students in the incoming freshman class this year from Texas than from Arkansas? I, I, I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere last month which might be the first time that that's ever happened and when you're in hey last weekend was family weekend so you know yeah there were a lot of there were more texas plates than i'm used to in fayetteville let's just put it that yeah way. it's a function of uh out-of-state tuition you know it's uh it's favorable to them yeah what do you make of the defense right now grant because um i don't have any complaints of the defense i think they've i think they've been as as good as advertised uh, I'm just excited to watch them go up against what is supposed to be a high-powered offense. You know, BYU has been without their leading top uh, returning receiver from last year. 
who, uh, who's been hurt. Uh, he was a guy who had a big game against Arkansas uh, last year. That's Cody Epps. Epps had uh, nine catches and a touchdown against Arkansas last year. We don't know if he'll be available for this weekend, but it's supposed to be. I mean, it's better offense than Kent, better offense than Western Carolina. So defensively, they'll, they'll definitely have a, be- a tougher test. Yeah, I think he's going to play. I, you know, um, I, this, uh, well, what you ask me? <laughs> I forgot what just you what you thought me. of how the defense has played. I mean, it's just yeah, it's defense, been as good as advertised is what it seems the, like. The defense, uh, when you look at five, was it five takeaways? Uh, they lead the, I think they still lead the country or something. But and and Arkansas is not turning it over. Uh, when you score with the defense, or if you score with special teams, I remember one time Orville Henry wrote this thing. Uh, Arkansas scored a couple of times defensively early in the season and he said that sometimes that continues and sure enough they, they had a lot of touchdowns that year and that can kind of get contagious and the, this guy does it that guy wants to do it uh that's obviously a huge asset i mean the play by greer completely transformed the ball game people were frustrated the coaches players were frustrated the fans were frustrated and all of a sudden you score and those fans get into it a little bit and then i think uh Probably the loudest that stadium got Saturday was the goal line stand. That was a great goal line stand, and, and that kind of thing can really fire everybody up. Grant, did you get did you did you get your eyes on the uh, Texas Alabama game? I just wanted to get your thoughts yes. on on that. And is, is Alabama can they, they could they could they still win the West and and maybe not even make the the playoff four? You know, it's funny, Matt. I watched a little bit that uh, I'd managed to lose my cell phone during the game for a couple hours and luckily got it back. So by the time I started, I went to Foghorns as soon as the game was over and watched what I could of Alabama, Texas. And in there, there were, this was really weird. There were more people rooting for Alabama than there were for Texas. I mean, you know, Texas is more hated than anybody mm-hmm. around here still. Uh, and I think there's a little bit of the kind of the, even though Texas is going into the SEC, that was kind of a pride thing. You know, the Big 12 has done well this year. The Pac-12 has done great. The SEC has not done well at all intersectionally. So a little bit of that, but uh, uh, I, I, I just uh, I don't know what to make. Do you think it's their quarterback I, I was, situation? Well, I thought they were, as far as the OC with Alabama, they're asking their quarterback to do something he can't do. I think Alabama has talent. I was more impressed with – Texas, that they, I, I'm not used to Texas being this physical. They, they were, they're usually a little softer, and so they kind of they impress me a little That's bit. That's the thing, Grant, that definitely stood out is that it's, it's the same way as how it stood out in the other direction for the Longhorns two years ago at Razorback Stadium. You're like, this is this is not a team that would be ready to show up and play in the Southeastern Conference. Well, this edition you know, of Texas that is seven, right? They're I mean, showing yeah. they're showing up next year, Grant, and Texas will be is is an immediate contender in this league. Yeah, and that you know, it, it, Arkansas has won five of the last seven uh, matchups against Texas, and that's contrary to the entire series, you know, before that. Uh, and Arkansas was not ready to go into the SEC thirty years ago. Uh, they lost that game to Citadel before they could even get to it. Uh, Texas, it does look like, is ready for the SEC, and I didn't think they would be. I think they're still just what are they like fifteen and twelve in their last twenty-seven? I read some thing like that that surprised me but uh the old coach who's been around Saban uh knows what he's doing I guess 
What about what about the thought of parity in college football and, and how it can be good for the sport? Like parity's been good in the NFL and in Major League Baseball recently. But when you look at the idea of parity in college football, it, it's conference-based, that the SEC has been the dominant conference. Just look at all the teams that have won national championships in the last just even 10 or 11 years. And, and heck, you barely get anybody that even comes close to contending uh, on the West Coast. Maybe things change when some of those teams make it into the Big Ten, but I think it's kind of a good thing right now in college football that the Pac-12 is as good as they are. It's very odd that it's the last year of the Pac-12, but it's the strongest they've been in probably 15, 20 years. You know, the Big 12 has Colorado come in, in next year, and the Big Ten, you know, might have three teams that could compete for a national championship. I think this is good for college football. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad for the SEC, though. I think the transfer portal has evened it out some. And then I also think this year, uh, and we've talked about this, the length of games. I mean, that game Saturday was two hours and 45 minutes. I thought I was 12 years old again. That's, a, that's what games used to last, you know. Yeah, but that's, long, I felt that's, a, that's an outlier, though, too. I'd be surprised if they're, they're not going to be another game that's two hours and 45 minutes. Well, but I mean, a team it, that just uses up the entire right. play clock like Kent State did. But if more teams uh, figure it's to their advantage to, to run that clock down, uh, I don't know. I, I, and I, what is it? It's probably 14, 15 plays fewer a game. So I would think that would, would favor an underdog. I mean, I think the more plays in a game, the more, more it favors the favorite team. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. I think it does. I think Kent State came in just hoping for a moral victory. Um, I don't think you're going to – judging on the other te- the teams that are left on Arkansas' schedule, the only other team that might have that kind of idea, and I don't know much about them right now, is Florida International. I just know there's not much expected out of FIU. I think that's the next – that's the only other game, only other game that Arkansas plays this year that will finish sub three hours. Uh, Florida International House of Pancakes, is that what you said? <laughs> <laughs> oh, i got to bottle that one and use it uh, for, uh, for that week because I think there will be a lot of pancake blocks that day. Grant, thanks, yeah. man. Always appreciate your time. Okay, see you. Thanks, Grant. Big gulps, huh? Totally redeemed yourself. I love it, Grant. Grant made a good funny there. That was good. There's something that exists in all of us. I know we got a lot of passionate Hog fans listening right now. And I know that all of you love football season. Dave Bushkill and his team over at Eastside Liquor are the exact same way. They can take care of all your tailgating and party needs. Whether it's just a few beers or alcohol in bulk. Stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue in Fort Smith to check off every item on your list. Eastside Liquor, your number one stop for Arkansas football this season. The Arlington Resort Hotel and Spa has everything you want for your next getaway. With the luxury and hospitality of a grand old southern hotel, the accommodations are sure to please everyone. Visit our thermal water bathhouse for mineral water baths and massages or enjoy one of our many dining options, like our Friday night seafood buffet, primetime in a fountain room every Saturday night, or our award-winning Sunday brunch. Located in downtown Hot Springs, the Arlington is steps away from shopping, entertainment, bathhouse row, and the hiking and biking trails of the National Park. Visit ArlingtonHotel.com for more 
Are you in need of an attorney? Hickey and Hull Law Partners is your firm. Hickey and Hull understand the importance of client communication, meeting with you, responding to emails, and returning calls. Hickey and Hull are attorneys you can trust to guide you through a divorce or a custody case, criminal charges, or even civil lawsuit. Ready to put their seven decades of experience to work for you and get the best results. Every case is important. Hickey and Hull Law Partners strive to give each client the time and attention it deserves. Visit them at KevinHickeyLaw.com. Hickey and Hull Law Partners. Things are about to get better. And now back to the podcast. Is Ty Detmer still the passing leader at BYU? Did Detmer like set a, a national record while he was there? I know that uh man they were they were ahead of their time a little bit Phil when when I was you know 7th grade 8th grade ninth grade and and you're kind of getting into it and and you're hearing people talk about what they were doing out there in the 80s uh and and then a little bit in the 90s as well man they were throwing the ball all over the field 15,031 yards is, <laughs> is that still Ty Detmers he's still the leader uh, I see. He was the he was the career passing leader when he when he graduated. Yeah. I don't know if he still is. Yeah, but he he had over ten thousand yards. He was uh, that's that's wow. like uh, oh uh, Sam Hartman, uh, your boy out there at Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. The the transfer. That's he's he's the he's the clubhouse leader. He's the active clubhouse club. He's the active leader. He's not in the clubhouse yet. Fifteen thousand and thirty-one yards. Wow! And that was in an eleven-game schedule too. He did. He had. Yeah. He didn't care for humanity at all. He's just out there, just getting <laughs> yards. We get a text from Aaron in Mountainburg. He says, "Dude from Hawaii." I think that's Colt Brennan. Timmy, that Timmy would, Chang. <laughs> I think "Dude from Hawaii" would be would be Colt Brennan. There was a there's a couple. One of them, Simeon. There was a Simeon that played for the. Didn't you say he was still playing right now? He was uh, he Trevor was, Simeon. Yeah, he was a Hawaii guy, didn't he? Yeah. Is he backing? Uh, he was backing up at Tennessee. That's yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. I guess there still is. Yeah. Uh, all right. So eight seven seven three seven seven sixty nine sixty three to get us the correct answer of the last three schools to win a national title from west of the Mississippi, and I think I got a winner here. Um, no, that is not a winner because you, when you think about this, and I got to parse, I got to parse the meanings of this. I'm talking west of the Rockies, not in the Rockies, which would make Colorado not the answer to this question because Colorado is located right there in the Rockies. They're not west or east of them. They're right there at the base of the Flathead Mountains, which is part of the Rocky Mountain Range. So that's Colorado is not not part of the correct answer here. Do they count uh, Napoleon Kaufman? Does he uh, is he a guy that would count on that? Am I going back far enough to help him out? Does I don't he, remember the year that the, the years that Kaufman was at this school. The, but you're about right. He was there in the in the eighties, in the late eighties, early nineties, out there. Yeah, Colorado, Colorado, Boulder. That's that's east of the Rockies still, right? That's right. Well, I got a I got an answer here from somebody that changed his initial answer. The first answer was right. The second answer was wrong. Matt Jones, I need some guidance. That Do was, I go with the right or the wrong answer? No, the first or the second? That's what I was thinking. That that purple and gold uh, on the uh, Napoleon Kaufman. I can't. I'm trying to see uh, on the t- okay on the text line. Yeah, Zach and Harrison might be the uh, might be the winner I, off of this. I don't see Zach and Harrison. I think is right. <laughs> so these these national champions, Southern California, 
2003-2004, and I'm going by schools, not not the last national champion the year before that. It's they, they, they these are just the schools that have won them. Southern Cal had a shared national title with LSU in 03. They won the outright thing in 04. Washington, 1991. Napoleon Kaufman still running. He's shared, a beast. Shared that championship with Miami. Now, uh, you were right about Colorado, but Colorado 1990 was still located inside the Rockies. They were not west. And then there's BYU in 1984. Do you realize there are only one, two, three, four, five schools west of the Rockies that have ever won a national title? That's it. Southern Cal, Washington, BYU, UCLA, Stanford. And Stanford's natty was a shared one in 1926 well, during I, the Great Depression. So does that count? Yeah, I guess it does. When I think USC and UCLA, I think Atlantic Coast Conference. So I'm, uh, <laughs> it's uh, the conference realignment. It's going to be nice. I don't think it's going to help them. Uh, I think that number is going to stay true to form. It's tough to win out there on the West Coast. It's not It's not football country like it is in the South and in the Midwest. Tough to win out there on the West Coast when you're traveling all the way to the East Coast numerous times for football games. You know, you go back and you look at this 1984 national title for BYU. Remember Chuck even mentioned it yesterday that it was a bit of a controversial national title. Although they they were voted they were voted number one by all of the polls and all of the organizations that award various national championships, but it's just that it came from a school that literally only played. I guess it would have been then it would have been three big name schools. That's it. Well, and what, it depends what, on what you count a big name school is. BYU opened that season unranked on the road at Pitt. Pitt was ranked third in the country to open the season. They beat Pitt, got ranked after that, beat Baylor the next week, then Tulsa, then a bunch of whack schools, and they ended up beating Michigan in the Holiday Bowl to finish the year with a 13-0 record, and they were voted national champions. The Big Blue couldn't get it done. Look at Texas's schedule. They play a bunch of whack schools after after they they beat Alabama. They're not. They're going to be favored in every single game that they play after Florida State. The same way they played that. They played their beast early. They went up there and they played and they won. So you got to tip your hat to them. But they don't have a lot of tough games after that. Zach and Harrison, congratulations! You are the winner for the correct answer the last three schools to win national championships west of the rockies southern california washington and brigham young and i don't know if maybe we'll add to that maybe we'll add to that uh, that that number this year you know i mean southern cal maybe I mean, they are they're already one of those schools uh, Oregon State. I don't know if they're good enough to win a national title. They might be good enough to win the Pac-12. You give USC's offense with Utah's defense, and then you might have something right there. Yeah, I don't know if USC's defense. I mean, if, if Alabama was to make it, Jaden Daniels. You know, the, those quarterbacks. It, it'd be a little different. And and you know, who is Michigan really beat when you when you're when you're looking back at it? They got beat by TCU last year. Yeah, that's exactly right. And a team that uh, was, you know, was, was, that, that everything fell in favor for TCU to get to that point, too. I mean, I mean, it feels like that could end up happening at some point this year with some dark horse 
Was TCU ranked at the start of last year? I don't remember. No, they were 66 the year before. Yeah, BYU yeah. unranked, ends up as a national champion. That was a Cinderella story for the ages. And it, it, they just, it, it, it struck midnight a little too early. And what was that beat down? Like 45 to 3 or 60 to 3 or something? 65? Georgia covered for everything. Yeah, they, 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 they paid the bill. They said, yeah. go ahead and go on home. It even counted a cover for their first game for this year, too. Oh. Are you feeling the heat this summer with soaring electric bills? Upgrade your AC system with Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric this August and experience the ultimate comfort in your home. This month, receive up to $500 off on attic insulation when you upgrade your AC. That's right, proper attic insulation can significantly reduce your energy bills, keeping your home cooler and more efficient. Worried about the cost? We've got you covered. With approved credit, enjoy payments as low as $99 a month. Picture this. Lower energy bills can help you cover the cost of your new system. Now that's a win-win situation. So don't wait. Call Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric now and save with a new AC system and insulation this August. Say goodbye to high electric bills and hello to ultimate comfort. Visit gopascal.com now and schedule your free estimate. With approved credit, exclusions apply. See dealer for details. Professional people, professional service. Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. Prize Picks is the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. Prize Picks is a skill based, real money daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? Well, you pick two to six players, and if they will go for more or less than their prize picks projection. Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Find out all about it at prizepicks.com slash HTL and use code HTL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash HTL and use the code HTL for that first deposit match of up to $100. Must be present in certain states. Visit prizepicks.com for restrictions and details. Prizepicks.com, daily fantasy sports made easy. Connor O'Gara with Saturday Down South joining us on a Wednesday today instead of a Monday like we usually talk to him. I know he's feeling a lot better though. Connor, how you doing today? Much better, much, much better. It was uh, it was a difficult Monday, not going to lie. I don't think I could just chalk it up to getting back into midseason form, uh, but my body just completely shut down, food poisoning for those who have experienced it. You just know what kind of a toll that that takes for like 24 hours. Mm. And uh, yeah, I was uh, I was not in the best of shape on Monday morning. Have we pinpointed the, uh, the culprit? You know exactly what it was, what we need to avoid? Yeah, and you know what? I don't know if I should put this food item on full blast, but let's just say uh, I will not be having iceberg lettuce anytime soon. Okay, uh, I've heard about this. Yeah, man, it's tough. And, and my wife, she washed the lettuce. She, she did everything she could. She didn't get food poisoning. I did. I was probably a little bit more susceptible to it because I was coming off of four hours of sleep Saturday going into Sunday, being able to stay up, write, you know, get my podcast ready, do everything for that. And man, it was, uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Iceberg lettuce. Uh, yeah, not, not exactly something I'm going back to the fridge to get any sense of. You'll be good to go for watching all the college football, uh, starting tomorrow. Um, all right, two games in and with Arkansas facing their toughest opponent so far, what's your impression of the Razorbacks? 
a little bit of what we thought, right? I mean, we thought this ground game was going to take a step back just because the overall volume was going to be different. The, the intention of the offense was going to be different. And I'll be honest, when Sam Pittman kind of voiced his concerns about the offensive line in the offseason, I was kind of like, you know what, yeah, but you still got two two guys that, that are true anchors up front with Limmer and Latham, and you, you'll figure the rest out. I mean, it's Sam Pittman. This ground game, though, even without Rocket Sanders, who obviously gets, gets banged up in week one, uh, it, it's been an issue. And I don't think they wanted to have to turn to KJ last week to be able to get things going. And I think it does remain a concern for a team that has made it look really easy through throughout pretty much the majority of the Sam Pittman era. So I, I think that's a concern. But, you know, the good news, KJ looks great. K, KJ has passed a lot of those early tests that, that the people have had about him, you know, in terms of whether or not he's going to be able to throw in this offense and what's it going to look like. And he just continues to get better, in my opinion. And, and he is obviously such a big part of this team. And as long as he is out there, you're going to have a chance to win a whole lot of ballgames. What do you think about the remade Arkansas defense? They've they've been very good so far. I just I don't know what to make of it because I don't know if they've faced the, the kind of offense that I expect they'll be facing this weekend against BYU and then you know everybody else after that. Yeah, you know, it's it's I'm trying not to get too excited about it because it, it's got a lot of moving pieces. And like Penn State offense, you know they they lost Sean Lewis, who's their head coach. He goes over to Colorado. He's doing big things as their offense coordinator over there so you're kind of wondering like all right well, what are they really uh on that side of the ball so it, it, both of these teams you really can't make a whole lot about them about you know in terms of the competition that they faced these first two weeks like BYU has basically faced consecutive fbs opponents to start off the year and i realized sam houston was playing its first ever game at the fbs level but you get what i'm saying so it, it's really tough to look too far into it i mean i, I think it's a positive that the Arkansas defense hasn't looked like it's been totally out of place. There haven't been those big gashes necessarily in the passing game like we saw way too much early on last year. It's really good that they started off with the schedule that they had and they didn't necessarily have a gauntlet because I think that's allowed the defense to get its feet wet a little bit and you've allowed you've been allowed to overcome those issues in the ground game. Connor, I thought Florida State won week one. Uh, Texas won week two going in there to Tuscaloosa and, and whooping on Alabama. Is, is Texas for real? Are they uh, are they a playoff four team this year? I think they're I think they're for real. and They're, they're going to be in that conversation all year. I don't necessarily know that they make the field because I think the Big 12 is still really good, but it doesn't feel like anybody wants to bet against Texas right now because once you get over that Alabama hurdle, history tells us, you're going to be in pretty good shape to do some big things this year. And I was so impressed with what they did in Tuscaloosa. It's it's one thing to, to win a game against Alabama, an Alabama team that kind of played down to its competition a lot more than people realized the last few years. But to go in there and just totally bully them, man, like that was – so poised, and they were they were the composed ones. Alabama was the one who they, they kept committing all these penalties. Quinn Ewers is making these throws where it just doesn't look like anything is phasing him, and everything just kind of clicked for Texas' performance that they've been waiting for for more than a decade now. I mean, I, I think that that was more about you know Al- Alabama obviously having its issues, but Texas just kind of feeling like, all right, finally we're ready to compete, and we're not going to do this premature we're back stuff. You know, for a game that doesn't really mean anything against Notre Dame, I don't think it's fair to say Texas is back until they get to a national championship. But man, you're you're lying if you're not impressed with what they just did. Well, and and look, I think the the rest of the country 
in Arkansas, they're all rooting for Alabama, just because, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Everybody here hates the Longhorns. Nationally, people are thirsty to see somebody, you know, other than Alabama or Georgia, uh, win a national championship right now. And it really does feel like it's up for grabs. You know, I, I haven't watched enough Georgia. I don't think they've played anybody. I don't know if they're going to play anybody this year. I know they got Tennessee, and you know, I don't think their schedule's great. They'll make the Final Four. But there is that sense you're not going to have two teams from the SEC in the playoff this year. Um, and, man, there's a lot of other clubs right now that look like they have a shot and a national title where you're looking at Alabama, you're looking at LSU, A&M isn't going to be there. Uh, nobody out of the West, out of the East, except for Georgia would make it. Like, this is, this, is a, this is a standalone season in recent college football history. It's, it's a little bit 2016-ish, I think, with, for the SEC. In terms of one really good team, Bama was a really good team that year, and then everybody else was just disappointing. Like, you remember LSU losing in that season-opening game against Wisconsin at Lambeau Field when they returned yeah. Leonard Fournette, and you're like, wow, LSU just lost to Wisconsin. This is stunning. And there was a bunch of SEC teams that just didn't really live up to expectations, and Bama just kind of skated along and got to a national championship as the defending champs. This could be like that, where Georgia just sort of has its, its path to the playoff paved, and everybody's kind of wondering week to week, like, who's maybe the second-best team in the SEC? Who's the third-best team? We don't really know. And I guess from a chaos standpoint, that's great. And it usually means, with a year like that, there could be a lot of new blood in. I mean, what if a team like USD finally breaks through and makes it to the college football playoff? Or Florida State that everybody's talking about, or Texas. Like, these teams that... It feels like we've been waiting on for a long time that could finally be making that, that, that push. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of getting national interest, like I, I can't remember who had the staff, but you've got AP top five and five different conferences are, are represented in that top five, which just feels so unique. So for the sport as a whole, it's great. For the SEC, not so great. Connor, give me, uh, give me Colorado's record, this hype train. How, how, how much farther does it go? They got Colorado State, but then, then after that, they go to Eugene to play Oregon and at home against USC's. They're 2-0. and Give me their record for these next three games. Ooh, next, I think they're 1-2 the next three. I, I don't think they're winning at Colorado. I don't think they're beating USC, but... Yeah, if you if you told any Colorado fan, hey, you're going to be three and two going into that that basically like the latter half of your schedule, I think they would have taken that in a heartbeat for a team that won one game last year. I mean, I think Colorado is is setting itself up for an eight four type season. I talked to a lot of people over at Fox about this in, in the last few weeks, and Fox has been so all in with all things Colorado. And what's pretty amazing to watch is what this offense has transformed into and how quickly we have realized, like, wow, these pieces that they have, it works. And, and I talked about John Lewis before running that offense. That's a huge, huge part of this. And they're, they're going to be in position to, to hang with a lot of teams because of the offensive firepower they have. Obviously, with Stuart Sanders and Travis Hunter, Dylan Edwards, these guys who are making plays already. But, man, it's going to be so fun to see the ratings for those games against Oregon, against USC, it's going to be off the charts. I mean, college game days could be there. A big noon kickoff, they're both going to be there for a game against Colorado State. I mean, it is incredible how quickly this thing has reached national news and why they have easily been, for my money, the story of the year so far in college football. Um, if, I, if I list some teams off for you here that have national title hopes going into the season, tell me who might have impressed you the most or the least. Southern California, Ohio State, Michigan. Um, I'll leave it at those three. Ugh. Gosh, do you have to? Can we do more? I mean, goodness. 
Um, look, I wasn't really impressed with Ohio State watching them against my alma mater. Uh, that, that performance left something to be desired. I don't think... Uh, USC is... You know what? I'll, I'll give USC the benefit of the doubt. I, I think they've looked better defensively than that really, really bad start against San Jose State. I, I'm not saying that that USC is about to go win a national championship, but I think they've been more impressive than not. And when you have the best player in college football, which Caleb Williams is, he's playing at such a ridiculous level right now, then, then you're in good shape. You, you are. But, yeah, I mean, I picked Ohio State to win a national championship in the preseason. So I guess I'm not totally getting off of that. I'm trying not to look too far into some of this early season stuff, playing with their food, you know, kind of waiting for them to figure things out offensively. And I, I know they looked better last week, but still, like, you're, you're waiting for Ohio State's offense to really look the part. And, and I think that we'll get more of those moments. I'm just not going to be impressed with Michigan until they do anything for playoffs. Like, it show me that you can do something against a non-Big Ten team that has done anything, and then I will be impressed with Michigan. So, I, I mean, that's kind of a, a little bit of a hedge answer, but I'll, I guess I'll give it to USC early on. Well, as much as yeah, as USC and their quarterback, well, are you a believer yet in Notre Dame? Could could they be a team that slips into the Final Four? Yeah, I, I think they can, man. Like I was watching, I actually watched a lot of that game last week against NC State, and they just keep coming. They like Sam Hartman is their best quarterback since Brady Quinn. He is so good. And my question with him was, all right, well, what's it going to look like transferring? Out of that system at Wake Forest, which is so unique, the way that they hold it at the mesh point and how long it takes to, to read a defense, how slow moving it is post snap. And man, he has just been incredible. And, and I think that you're seeing the combination of those two things the Sam Hartman led Notre Dame offense and this Marcus Freeman defense. You're like, man, this team could, could definitely split against USC and Ohio State. Who knows? Like, if they're sitting there at 11 and 1, and they have a win against one of those two teams. And, you know, obviously they still have difficult games coming up. They still have Clemson coming up as well. But that is a team that could absolutely have a chance. Like, I, I think that people that are doubting them and saying they have to go 12-0 and to make the playoff, I think they're kind of sleeping on the firepower that they have and the ability to pick up some quality wins along the way. Connor, as far as SEC games this weekend, you know, I mean, I expect Georgia to just crush South Carolina. I don't have any belief in Florida against Tennessee. Um, Kansas State at Mizzou, that's a sneaky, interesting matchup. LSU at Mississippi State might be the most interesting game of the weekend as far as two SEC schools playing each other. Mississippi State is running the ball right now. Uh, I know LSU might be a little more, a little healthier up front than they were for the Florida State game, but could you see a situation Mississippi State could pull off an upset because they're a pretty heavy underdog? Yeah, I could. Um, and I think that line is at like nine or nine and a half, something like that. You know, I think a lot of people in the preseason were sleeping on Mississippi State because of the transition of Zach Arnett. A lot of people are basically treating Zach Arnett like he's an interim head coach. He's not. He got to hire his entire staff. He got to overhaul that offense. And it's been a very much a work in progress with the passing game. It's bizarre to think that they played in an overtime game last week and Will Rogers attempted a total of 17 passes. I mean, that is just baffling considering the system that he was playing in. So I think, though, you know, LSU's floor is just so much lower than people realize. They're seven and five against Power Five competition under Brian Kelly. That's it. Seven and five, and against Mississippi State, a team that is running football really, really well. I can see Mississippi State giving them a lot of problems. LSU is not defending the run well at all. They are dead last in Power Five in yards per rush allowed in the first half of games. 
So it's not just FSU. I mean, they, they struggled against running it rambling, for crying out loud. So I think Mississippi State can give them some problems. I still think LSU wins and they make enough plays, but I think this is one of those games that kind of goes down to the wire, and LSU needs to really dig deep to avoid that second loss. All right, let's uh, let's close on uh, on this just bizarre deal uh, over at Michigan State with Mel Tucker and and Brenda Tracy and man, I mean, I don't know if not all the facts have come out about this. There's still an investigation ongoing at, at Michigan State, but I guess there were some long late night phone calls and uh, and and potentially, you know, coach thought that there was a friendship there was developing and everything like that. I just, I just, I know who Brenda Tracy is. And I think to myself, yeah, bring her in to talk to your team and then leave it at that. Like, that's not anybody that you really need to be trying to engender any romantic relationship with. Just, you gotta, you gotta know who it is that you're, that you're dealing with in these situations. And I mean, I, I don't know what her motives are or if they're just to try to, uh, you know, to keep a, to keep somebody who should be responsible to an entire football program, you know, in a situation where, you can't do something like that any longer. And uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of this, but right now I sort of lean towards Tracy's end of things. Yeah, and, you know, we'll wait to, to hear more facts about this, but think about this. If you had a buyout that was that significant, what is it, like $86 million bucks that, that, you're, that you're owed, and you have a chance to be fired with cause. Gosh, wouldn't, wouldn't you just want to be as buttoned up as humanly possible? And I know that that comes off as, as, as really preachy, but playing that close to the fire, man, like that, that just seems like such a bizarre move if you're Mel Tucker. When there are different ways in which a head coach of a of a Power Five university can, I what's what's a nice way to say this? Like, guy, guy is not necessarily hurting in his love life, or at least he probably should be. Like. That's the link that you go to. It, it does kind of leave you wondering where his head is at and where the direction of this program is at. If that's all of a sudden the one eighty that you need to pull, but just one of those stories that that leaves you kind of just remembering that things can change so quickly in college football. And even when you think you have your your lifetime coach, your ten year coach, something like that can just blow everything up in a hurry. You're listening to the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at hitthatline.com. This podcast has been presented by Bet Online. This podcast is an exclusive property of Pearson Broadcasting. It may not be copied, reproduced, modified, published, uploaded, reposted, transmitted, or distributed in any way without Pearson Broadcasting's prior written consent. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.